0: welcome you are listening to bible teaching from island community church in downtown memphis tennessee we hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with jesus you can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. thank you for listening
1: Well, church, it's great to see you this morning. My name is Barrett Balden. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm incredibly grateful that you've joined us today. We went from summer last Sunday to winter this Sunday. That was kind of abrupt. So um, anyway, we are in a, a fun season, a fun time of year. But in this season of our church's life, we together are going through the book of Romans. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, um, I would encourage you to get them open this morning to the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter two today as we continue our series called What He's Done. We have been studying um, this incredible book written by the Apostle Paul, given to us as a grace gift of God so that we might know more of Him. We've been studying this book over the last several weeks. Today's the seventh uh, sermon uh, in this series, and we will be in this series all the way through next May. So we are um, going little by little through this book, as is our habit here at Island Community Church. If you're new today, I just wanna say we welcome you. We're so grateful. I know that there are many in our midst who are seeking to know God. Maybe you're curious about our relationship with God, curious about the Bible. And I'm just so grateful that you've chosen to trust us this morning to seek God. I know that there's many others of us who are family, but it is our habit not to stand and listen to the jokes or wise words of some person on the stage, but rather we, we really submit ourselves and we really seek after to know what does God's word say? Uh, His word is our truth. So this morning uh, we continue and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29, and we're going to talk through the second part of the conversation, the religious need the gospel. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you that this particular passage is probably going to step on a lot of your spiritual toes, all right? Anybody in the room like to think that they are a good person? Gosh, y'all are scaring me. Nobody raised their hand. (laughs) Um, On the inside, I saw your hands, right, go up. Anybody like to think that you're a particularly moral person? Anybody pride themselves even in getting up this morning in 20-degree weather and showing up at church? You feel good about yourself, don't you? You are really happy, and you're starting to judge some people that you notice are not here, and you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, I bet they stayed home in their cozy socks. You know what I'm saying? So all of us most likely uh, tend to have parts Of our hearts that like to boast in our morality and our goodness and our religiosity. And this morning, our main point is going to be that the pride points of religious people cannot protect them from God's righteous judgment of their hearts. This morning, as Paul continues to write to the Church of Rome, the passage we're going to be looking at is directed squarely at religious people. People who think that they're moral, think that they're good, like that they're involved in religious activity. And he's going to help them see and help us see that the things that they pride themselves in really, at the end of the day, cannot, will not protect them from the righteous judgment of God that is a judgment of the heart. We've been looking at uh, the gospel as we've been going through this book and we've been talking about how the gospel is the good news, all right? We say that, right, with a big smile on our face. The gospel is the what? The good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to save all who trust in him. We've been looking at these theme verses from Romans chapter one, and y'all can recite them with me because we've all got them memorized. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Good job, you guys. So Paul writes this book because he wants you to know and to trust Jesus. He says, I just want you to know who God is, and I want you to know what God has done for you. I want you to know it because it is the most precious reality in all the world. It's what you're made for. You are made for God. And you've turned from God, but yet God has done everything needed to bring you back to him in Jesus. He is wonderful. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to trust Jesus. I want you to make Jesus your life. That's what this book is all about. So that's the thesis of the book. But he starts out, as we've been looking at in section one, As he gets into the latter half of chapter one and into chapter two where we are right now and he's saying, I want you to know though that this message is not just a nice message, this message is a needed message. This is not like, oh, how cute is this life preserver as you're standing out in the lobby and you're holding it. No, this is like you in the middle of an an ocean and a hurricane and you have nothing to grab onto and God is offering you a life preserver. Receive the life preserver. More like." The reality for what it is, you are in desperate need of this thing. Hear the gospel, not just as a nice message, but as a needed message, because without this gospel, without the good news of who God is and all that he's done for you in Jesus, you are in a big, desperate mess. The gospel is needed. He's been talking to us because God's wrath is deserved. Now, who is God's wrath deserved to? Well, Paul lays it out in three basic sections, all right? I'm just reminding you of where we've been. At the end of chapter one, he talked about how God's wrath is reserved for non-religious people. You could go back and listen to those or review those if you missed those messages. God's wrath is reserved for those who have made themselves the center of everything. Even though they knew enough about God to know that he existed and to know that they are accountable to him and should submit to him, they've turned to the created things rather than the creator. They've made idols out of everything. They've suppressed the truth and exchanged it for a lie. And God's wrath is currently being revealed against those who have turned against him, who have rebelled against him and rejected him. But then as we got into chapter 2 and we started this last week, what's been interesting is we've been right here looking at how God's wrath is deserved not only for non-religious people, in Paul's day, Gentile people they were called, non-Jewish people, but also God's wrath is deserved and therefore the gospel needed even for, for moral people, for religious people. And we started talking about this last week because Paul shifts the focus and he goes, oh, wait a second. You good, you good boys and girls that are standing over on the side, listening to me talk about how these rebellious, wicked people are going to get it from God. And yet, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you see yourself? You're just as guilty before God as any of them. <laughs> sure, like you might think yourself better, but God knows you're not. You might think yourself that you're not like these people, but in your heart, you are. You're missing the whole point. And so right now, we're in the section of chapter 2, and we're going to pick up today where we left off, which is in verse 17. So if you got your Bible, everybody there? Uh, If you got your Bible, we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. God's Word says this. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge, then you, you then who teach others Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God, By breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is God's Word. If you guys have to take notes with this morning, and I would encourage you to. I think note-taking is a great way to follow along with the sermon today. It's a great way to uh, really study God's Word, to later remember God's Word, and hopefully later to disciple someone else into what you have been discipled in. So if that's a choice that you can make, I would encourage you to make it. Um, The title of today's message is The Religious Need the Gospel, Part 2. If you haven't already written down the main point, I'm going to put it back up and I'm going to say it again. The pride points of religious people cannot protect them from God's righteous judgment of their heart. The pride points of religious people cannot protect them from God's righteous judgment of their heart. Now, what's fascinating is, um, as Paul continues his discourse this morning, and we'll study it together what ends up happening is he begins to single in even more on the Jewish people. In verses one to 16 of chapter two, we talked about how the you that he refers to starting in verse one is ultimately about the Jewish people, which he names in verse 17. But starting in verse 17, he goes squarely after the Jewish people. And we'll talk about this, them more in a second so you can understand why he's going after them. But what he does here, you guys, is a little bit shocking because he directly attacks the three main things that the Jewish people prided themselves on, okay? So like this morning, let's say uh, 2022, what are some things that maybe we as Christians would like to pride ourselves on? Maybe church attendance, although in the last few years, that has not been so great, so I appreciate all of your improvement in this area. Um, this is great. Uh, we're getting there. But church attendance could be one, right? In the South, anybody like to say that's something that maybe religious people pride themselves on? Yeah? Uh, what about like rites of passage or like something like a baptism? Anybody? You know I'm talking about? Y'all are just looking at me. Okay. <laughs> Where you would like go like, I'm kind of a religious person, and you can point back to some certificate you're that God. Or some people would go through, in some traditions, like a confirmation process or a dedication process or some certificate of baptism or some marker moment. Uh, and good old Baptist churches, when you walk the aisle, anybody grew up on a church like that? Walk in the aisle and going down front and signing the card. Those are things that maybe you could pride yourselves on or good behavior. Um, or as American Christians... Sometimes you've heard the phrase, you know, we're so glad to be a part of a Christian nation. You ever heard that kind of phrase? I'm not espousing that at all. I'm just saying that that is something that often Christian people will be very proud of the fact that they've made their Christianity nationalized, so to speak, in this country, or so they think. Now, if somebody goes and starts saying... Now, you pride yourself on your church attendance, and you pride yourself on your baptism, and you pride yourself on the fact that you were confirmed, and you pride yourself that you're some so-called American Christian nation, but i got to tell you something. That means a hell of beans to God. That's a Georgia phrase for that doesn't matter. Those things don't count. Several of us might go, wait, 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 what a second? Why am I even here at church this morning? <laughs> Why did he even get baptized? Wait, what? Well, you're saying... Paul, in comparison, is going right after the jugular, so to speak, of these pride points of the Jewish people. And there's three of them that I want to point your attention to this morning as we go through the text. My aim is to teach you the Bible. So I want you to get from the sermon this morning, understanding of your scripture, all right? Because it's wonderful. This is God's words to you. He's going right after three pride points of the Jewish people. And he starts, the the first one, okay, so if you're counting this morning, it'll be three kind of pride points that Paul exposes. The first one is here in verse 17. He goes right after their heritage. We could describe this as their privileges of birth. Now, if you look at it, this is from verse 17. He says here, but if you, this is the same phrase that we got from, uh, do you remember verse 1, where he talks about, and you call yourself, he's saying here with the Jewish people, for some reason, you guys, my little marker is not working, and that makes me super sad. <laughs> Hold on just a second, oh, is ho, 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 <laughs> back. For some of y'all who are new this morning, my name is Barrett Bowden, and I am a geek, And. Uh, I like marking up the scripture, so I hope you don't mind. Um, But if you, who call yourself a Jew, okay? Why is he focusing here on this phrase? You who call yourself a Jew. Well, it's because it's very obvious that one pride point to these people were truly that they called themselves Jews. They were proud of their own heritage, of the label of being a Jewish person. He goes on and describes how they relied on the law and they boasted in God. One of their, their big prides was that they were God's people. And what Paul says you enjoy wearing these labels, you enjoy being known, like in today's day, it would be like the label of a Christian. You enjoy being known by that label. You enjoy people understanding that about you and identifying you in such a way. You enjoy being identified as God's chosen people. A little bit of background on the Jewish people because I know some of you um, have, have maybe new to scripture, you're seeking to understand why is this such a big deal? Well, in the Bible, um, the Jewish people are also known as, we could some other labels in the scripture as the Hebrews. Other parts in scripture, we will call them the Israelites. Okay? These are the same people. Essentially what you have in scripture is, so they became known as the Jews, and do you all know why they became known as the Jews? It came from one of the tribes, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah, which was in the southern part of the kingdom. And after, uh, really from the time of, Babylonian captivity, all of the Israelites. Now we're talking here about people who were descended from Abraham through Isaac. Okay? So the descendants of Abraham, the original promise of God, Genesis chapter 12, God made good on his promise when he gave Abraham children through a promised son, Isaac, the son of faith, the son that God brought, not Abraham brought. And through the lineage of Isaac came an entire nation of people. And these people were known as God's people because they came as a fulfillment of promise that God made to Abraham. And from the time of captivity, they had all these different tribes, but the tribe of Judah uh, became kind of the distinctive tribe among the Israelites, and the entire People, the entire Israelite people, took on the name Jewish from Judah. But they, they, they carried with them this distinctiveness of being God's chosen people. Even the name Judah, do y'all know what it means? Very interesting. It means pride. Judah actually means Pride, or you could also interpret it like praise, okay? Same basic meaning. We are the people of God's praise. We are the, 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 the people of God's great pride. Quite interesting, isn't it? Now, the challenge with this, the great irony of this is that their pride and their heritage actually led to their complacency in terms of a real relationship with God the label that they carried actually became a substitute for something that always intended God always intended to be within them Suddenly, they had the label, but they didn't really have the reality of what it represented. And this complacency ended up leading them to judgment. Now, I'm going to walk through this morning... um, a series of things as it relates to the problems of religion. And I hope you'll make a little list. You can make a little list as we go through these three points, or you make a little list on the side of your paper that's kind of apart from the three points. But there's going to be a whole list that we're going to create this morning of the problems of religion. Because what God wants you to see is when you fall into the trap of living a religious, moral, quote-unquote, good life, but you neglect a real relationship with God, you have a major problem. One of the big problems of religion is as it leads people to rely more in their goodness, quote-unquote goodness, than in God's grace. To rely more on their goodness rather than on God's grace. Now, there's a passage of scripture from Micah chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 that kind of God, through the prophet Micah, speaks directly to the Jewish people and he goes, its head its heads give judgment for a bribe. This is speaking of those who are within the Jewish people, the so-called praise and pride of Israel. They're giving a priest or teaching for a price. In other words, what should have been a holy act of proclaiming God's word has become a marketplace act in exchange for money. Its prophets are practicing divination. They're even saying, they're speaking the word of God and they're doing it for what? For money. And yet, And yet, it's almost like, can you believe this, you guys? God is speaking. And yet, they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? Are we not Jewish in today's day? Are we not Christian? They're using the label as some kind of feeling that they're good but for some reason they've forgotten that it's not about their goodness it's always been about God's grace to the point that they're even feeling quite confident no disaster shall come upon us and yet God says back to them but therefore because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. In other words, God's saying, Not so fast. As Lee Corso says on game day at ESPN, you know what I'm talking about? Not so fast. God's saying, Be careful. Because one of the dangers and the problems of religion is it could lead you to rely on your goodness when all along God's choice of you as a people of praise, as a people of pride was not about what you did, it's about what he did for you. Have you not forgotten that this is about grace? Secondly, another problem of religion is looking to their heritage rather, to their, rather than their hearts another problem of religious people and this was the problem of the Jewish people then and it becomes a problem of religious people today where we can feel really good you know we live in a christian nation so called some people would say are we i was born into a christian family or i go to you know i've got this heritage of church going people or we have this long membership at this particular church. Or if you look at our uh, bi- in front of my Bible, you can see the dedications and the baptisms of all these people who have gone before me. Look at the heritage that we have. But God's going, uh, but, but, but wait a second, it's, it's never been about your heritage. It's always been about your heart. I, I look at a passage like Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. I hope you'll write some of these references down as we go through. It says here, speaking of Jesus, but when he, this is Jesus, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, now these are some of the most devout of devout Jewish people, people who prided themselves on their heritage, coming to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with, what? Repentance. That's a heart thing. And do not presume to say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, what are they appealing to? Jesus is saying, I'm talking here about your heart, but here you go. You're going back to your heritage. You're going back to, but I'm a Jewish person but I come from a Jewish family. Don't you know my heritage? And Jesus says to them, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, don't you get into the place where you are equating your heritage with what God wants in your heart. If you have a heritage without a right heart, you're not right with God. Another place that I think about is John chapter eight, And starting in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews, here we are, again, these two groups of people. Jesus is directly speaking to these people who carry this name, who carry this heritage, who had believed him. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, "Uh, we're the, what? The offspring of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you'll say you'll become free? Well, Jesus is not talking, to guys, about your national history. He's talking about your hearts. Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, this is a heart thing, is a slave to sin. This is a heart thing. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know He's going, I know that you're Jewish. Okay, let's get past that. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham. And yet, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place where? In you. That's a heart thing. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered to him, here we go again, guys. Abraham is our father. In other words, don't you know we're the Jewish people? This is our heritage. This is our thing, man. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. What was Abraham's work? We'll get to it in chapter four of Romans. It was to believe God. He believed God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. It was a hard thing, and yet they've missed it. But now, Jesus says, you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, which, by the way, that's a, that's a kind of insult back of Jesus about the way that he was born. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, then What? you would love me. Is that a heritage thing or is that a heart thing? That's a heart thing. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Friends, we gotta be careful. Paul goes right at their own identity. And he says, you call yourselves a Jew and you boast in being the pride, the praise of God. But be careful, because you could easily get to a point where you're relying more on your heritage rather than your heart. You're you're priding yourself more in your so-called goodness, and forgetting that it's all about God's grace. Friends, I gotta tell you, 2022, there are a lot of people today, even people who are in this room who are tempted to pride themselves in being a so called Christian, wearing the label as a Christian, wearing the label as a Christian family, priding themselves on the heritage that you come from, or the Christian nation even that you're a part of. And at the end of the day, those things don't matter. The only thing that matters is a right heart before God. But the problem is, none of us have right hearts before God. So be careful, Paul's saying. Because the thing you pride yourself in is not going to protect you from God's righteous judgment of your heart. Number two. The first pride point that he attacks directly is their heritage, the privileges of their birth. But the second pride point that he attacks is their knowledge, all right? Their knowledge. In other words, he's gonna go after here their uh, possession of the law. Now, there's several things that he makes a point to describe here, and uh, it's fascinating. Verse 17, but you call yourself a Jew, and you do what, he says? You rely on the law, right? So he's saying you are people who feel really good about the fact that, that you've got this thing called God's law. And we know from the Old Testament, God did choose to reveal himself to the Jewish people. He did choose to reveal his, his person and his ways. He had them write down his moral instruction. They were gifted incredibly with the possession of God's words, God's ways, God's law. But what he's saying here is, You've come to rely on the fact that you were given the law more than you're relying on the fact that you have right relationship with God. And because of that, you're in trouble. Now, he calls out their knowledge of the law. And there's a couple of things that he calls out. First, he talks about how they know his will. Um, The first part of their knowledge is just, well, knowledge. Very brilliant, Right. We're gonna make a little sublist under number two. There's gonna be four parts in the sublist. For those of you who are getting anxious about why is there just a number come up on the screen, um, we're gonna make a little sublist under point two. Okay. So he says, you you rely on the law. You received the law from Moses at Mount Sinai. We know that from Exodus 19. You have the Torah, and you're proud that you know the law and you tend to rely on it. Actually relying on knowing the law for your deliverance, but we'll see in a second. It's not knowing the law that makes a difference, it's actually following it. Secondly, he says not only do they pride themselves, this was number one, in knowing his will, but number two, they pride themselves of approving what is excellent. I will categorize this as they pride themselves in their ethics, okay? They, Uh, know how to approve what is excellent. In other words, they can make correct ethical decisions. Anybody in this room ever been proud that you're an ethical person? Don't raise your hand. This is an indictment, okay? Um, That you can make correct moral judgments, right? In other words, you can easily see the wrong choices that other people are making. You can follow detailed rules. You can follow regulations. And you feel real good about that, especially as you compare yourself with others. You are an ethical person. And what Paul says is, these folks are proud of the fact that because they have the law, they know the law, but also that has made them an ethical people. Third, so we talked about how they know his will. Second, we talked about how they approve what is excellent. Third, here, you are instructed from the law. I will describe this as a level of mastery. In other words, not only did they have the law, but they were instructed by it. In other words, they they master it. Uh, I was amazed when I went to Israel at how many people were there at the Western Wall reciting Scripture—men, boys, women, girls—they would stand, rocking and they would have memorized the scripture and they were just again and again and again repeating huge sections of the word of God. You could quote it, you can cross-reference it, you can go deep in the details of it. You have mastered, not only do you know it, but you can live right by it ethically and you've mastered it, you've been instructed by it. And oh, aren't you so proud of how you know that you know that you know this word that God's given you. Fourth, he says in verse 19, and you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness. In other words, and he goes on, excuse me, verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. In other words, we can add to this our final one here in the sub list. Number four, their leadership. Not only were they proud that they knew God's word, that they could live ethically according to God's word, that they had mastered God's word, but they were so proud that they could influence others by God's word. People who don't know the law, they can teach the law to. Others who are lost in idolatry, they can spread the knowledge of the law. And what God is saying to them is, I see you. I see you. I see that this is something you're proud of. And I think even in 2022, yeah, none of us perhaps are Jewish people in our genealogy. We may not go by the label of Jew, but there are certainly many, many religious people even here in this room today. We go by the label of Christian And we've been raised, or even in the recent seasons, we've been familiar with God's Word. We're proud that we know it. We're proud that we've been taught it. We're proud that we live ethically. We're proud in ways that we've mastered it, that we've memorized it, that we've studied it. We can make connections to others in it. We're proud that we can be influential because of it. And yet, there can be a problem when this knowledge and possession of God's Word is not matched by a right heart. The problem of religion, we'll keep adding to our list. He's gonna expose it here uh, as he goes through and talks about the problem here with the Jewish people, but the problem of religion is that it fixates on the possession of truth rather than the practice of it. It fixates on the possession of truth Rather than the practice of it. Because Paul is about to turn the corner. And he's going, yeah, you know, you pride yourself on having God's word. Knowing it, your ethics, your mastery, and your leadership from it. But you who teach others, verse 21, look at your scripture. Do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery... Do you commit adultery, you who abhor idols? Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, this is the summary point. You guys who are so proud of knowing the law, of being ruled ethically by the law, of mastering the law, of teaching others the law, you who boast in this way, You dishonor God by breaking the law. In other words, I see your heart. And you're not fooling me. See, religion ends up having the tendency of fixating on the possession of the truth rather than the practice of the truth. I think about Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 4. If you don't believe me, uh, take Jesus' word for it here. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they, what? Tell you, but not the works that they, what? They do. In other words, he's saying, I can tell the difference of what comes out of their mouth and actually the posture of their heart and the way that they live. Listen to what they say because they are saying the truth, but don't live as they do because they actually are only lip talkers. They're giving lip service to what they know, but in their hearts and in their lives, it doesn't match up. For they preach, Jesus says, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. Another problem of religion is that it hardens the heart rather than changes it. It hardens the heart rather than changes it. Psalm chapter 50 verses 16 to 20. But the wicked to the wicked God says, "What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips?" For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother and you slander your own mother's son. Religion tends to harden the heart rather than change it. I guess another way we could say it is it tends to conceal sin rather than reveal it. Often what happens in religion is that somehow all of the outward stuff ends up masking the lack of true inward stuff. And that's why Jesus goes the hardest after religious people, because he's trying to break through all of their outward so-called goodness, their outward so-called morality, their outward so-called law under uh, knowledge, and their outward um, ethics. And he's trying to to, to go, hey, hey, like let's just let's just stop with all the like pretense stuff. Because that seems to be getting in the way. It seems to be actually concealing what's going on within you. It seems that it's hardening you to what I really desire within you. Let's just, let's just cut to, to what's really going on. It's really about what's within you. Be careful. Be careful when you fall into these kind of religious pride traps because you can end up hardening in your heart. These things, these behavioral things can end up concealing your sin. This is why James chapter three, verse one says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In the end, friends, um, It really doesn't matter, like, a lot of you have Bibles in your hand. Like, you shouldn't be proud that you have a Bible in your hand. It doesn't really, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad to have a Bible in your hand. I'm just saying that our calls for boasting is not in having the Bible, knowing the Scripture, but rather living in light of what it says. The reality for us as God's people See, where where is our emphasis? Is it on the possessing of the word or is it on the practicing of the word? And I really believe because I know myself that most of us know far more of God's word than we actually believe, submit to, and live in light of. And if we're not careful you'll go, well, I know this scripture. I know this, I know this, I know this. I can make these connections. I've helped other people. I've gone on, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If you're not careful, your knowing can end up obscuring the most important reality in your life. It's not what you know, but it's how you live. It's what you do. It's what you believe, what you receive, how you trust and live it out. So be careful. So Paul goes right for him and he goes, Okay, uh, we want to talk about your heritage. Well, uh, that's not really something that's going to protect you from God's righteous judgment. You, you want to talk about your knowledge, secondly? Well, that's also really not something that uh, we're going to be able to talk about because that's not going to protect you from God's righteous judgment either. And, and in fact, The knowledge thing is actually leading to more judgment because verse 24 says the name of God is actually being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is a quote from Isaiah 52, 5, where he says, continually, all the day, my name is being despised. So he's saying, actually, that's going to heap up more judgment for you, your knowledge, because the more you know, this is what James 3 is speaking of, the more you know, the more you're responsible to do. So be careful about priding yourself in how much you know of God's ways and his word and his will, because that's actually, to all that you know, you're now accountable for. Careful. Well, then he gets to the third and final piece. And the third and final piece In case he hasn't silenced the religious yet, (laughs) he goes right after their ceremonies. That's the third piece. So we talked about their heritage, their knowledge, and in verse 25 to 29, he's going to go right after their ceremonies, okay? And namely here, what we're talking about is the covenant of circumcision. Not a thing you thought you'd be talking about probably when you came to church this morning, unless you read ahead. We'll talk about why it's significant here in just a second. He says here in verse 25, for circumcision is indeed a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, let's talk quickly about circumcision. Um, I'm not going to talk about it in a medical way. Okay, I want to talk about it and its significance as it relates to understanding God's word and understanding the point of the passage that Paul's teaching here. He says circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. Now, for a Jewish person, circumcision was huge. It's one of the 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 great pride points of their religion. It's like the equivalent of, the only thing I can, and and, and most of us today, the only thing we can compare it to is the equivalent of baptism in Christianity. It is a huge deal. It's like the symbol of you passing from death to life, right? We talk about that with baptism. It's like we point back to the day that we're baptized. That is a great celebration of our belonging to Christ, our belonging to to the to the way of Christ and Christianity, it's a major deal. So if you if you can have it in your head, everybody have it your head, like when we celebrate baptism, okay, keep that in your head. Now, if you think if you're a Jewish person, the equivalent of that is basically circumcision. It is a huge deal. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter seventeen, verses nine and ten, when God said to Abraham, "As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you." and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Huge deal. What is it? Every male among you shall be circumcised. This is a major, major deal. Every Jewish male, it was what made them distinctive among the nations, among peoples that did not circumcise. This circumcision was a sign. It was an outward symbol of their belonging to the Jewish people and ultimately, supposedly, to God. Now, we need to talk about this, though. Because even though God instructed, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, it shall be a sign to you a covenant between me and you. From eight days old, you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money, from any foreigner who's not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and bought with your money shall be sur- surely circumcised. Show- so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his fore- foreskin, such a big deal, shall be cut off from his people who has broken my covenant it's a huge deal so Paul goes for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law so he's going if you practice this the way God intended for you to practice it yeah great but not so fast but but If you break the law, here's what happens. What does he say? Your circumcision becomes what? Uncircumcision. And he says, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. If you got confused just then, it's okay. Let me break it down for you. Here's what Paul's saying. It would be better to be an uncircumcised Jew than a circumcised Gentile. Let me put it in 2022 language. You ready for it? This is going to step on some of your toes, and I can't wait. It would be better to be an unbaptized believer than a baptized, excuse me, this should say unbeliever. It would be better to be an unbaptized believer than a baptized unbeliever. Ooh, really? Aha. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Why? For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew who is one what? Inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. I close this morning by giving you a few other problems of religion that are straight from this passage. One of the main problems of religion is that it leads you to feel good about the outward symbols and signs that you have, and yet lack the inner substance. To feel good about the outward symbols and signs that you have, and yet lack the inner substance. For a Jewish person, what Paul is saying here is you feel good because in your flesh you bear the marks of circumcision physically. You got the outward symbol and the sign and you feel good about yourself. But what I'm telling you is it was never about the physical marking. In fact, God's word could not have been clearer. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, this is a heart thing. To walk in his ways, this is a heart thing. To love him, a heart thing. To serve him, a heart thing. With all of your, in case you missed it, this is a heart thing, y'all got it? And with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Now listen to this. Behold, To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are to this day. Now circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your, what? Heart. Heart. And be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Friends, the outward symbol is nothing without the inward reality. Your church attendance is nothing without you coming here weekly and having a true and sincere heart of worship. A cross around your neck is nothing apart from a true trust and reliance upon Jesus, the great treasure of your life. Christian music playing in your car is nothing apart from the love of God being the song of your heart and your life. Membership in a church is nothing apart from you actually in reality, spiritual reality, belonging to the family of God as you repented of sin and trusted in Christ and he transferred you from one family to another family, his own, by the grace that he gives. Baptism in a baptistry is just MLGW water that may or may not, probably not, cleanse your body. (laughs) But it is nothing without the true cleansing of Jesus Christ in your soul. The outward forms, friends, are nothing apart from the inward realities. Second problem of religion in this section is that it focuses on external behavior modification rather than internal spiritual transformation. God is saying, This has always been about your heart. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. If you want to know what it's like to be marked by me, it's not a marking of the flesh. That was always just about something that you could see. But the most important thing is the thing you can't see. It's the spiritual thing within you. He says it again, in case you missed it, earlier in the chapter, Deuteronomy 10, he's gonna repeat it in Deuteronomy 30, verse six. And the Lord your God will circumcise your what? Your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that then you can live. Oh, friends. Careful, falling into the trap of morality and being good and being religious, because you can get into this thing of focusing on your behavior externally, but what God wants is a change within your heart. He doesn't want a conformed behavior. He wants a transformed heart. Third, the problem of religion is that it depends on the efforts of man rather than the efforts of God, rather than the power of God. It depends on the efforts of man rather than the power of God. In verse 29 he says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the what? By the spirit and not by the letter. In other words, what he's saying here is if you want to experience God, what you should have been doing the whole time is not bringing yourself to try to do right by all the rules, but bringing yourself to go, oh God, I can't, I need you to work powerfully. See, the rules we're given, it's kind of like a mirror to help us see ourselves, but none of you go home this afternoon and see yourself and take the mirror off the wall to then clean yourself up. That ends up in a lot of bruising and scratching and cuts, you know what I'm saying? The mirror is meant to help you see yourself, but you need another instrument to actually do the cleaning. The law was always meant to help you see yourself, but you need another instrument, namely the grace of God and Jesus Christ to do the cleaning. But some of you have gotten to the point where you're relying on the mirror to clean, but the mirror doesn't clean. You need something else. You need God's power to work in your heart. Be careful of religion because it'll lead you to what you can do for God. And salvation is not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done and can do for you. Last but not least, the problem of religion is that it's motivated by an approval of others and not a real relationship with God. It's motivated by the approval of others and not a real relationship with God. He says, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And then he says, his praise is not for man but from God. He's saying, you know, when you fall into the trap of religion, what you're thinking about is, did other people see me at church this morning? Did I look good? What was I wearing? Did other people see that cross around my neck? When they got in my car, did they hear the Christian music? Did that certificate, my baptism, do people notice that, you know, the dates in the front of my Bible? Do people have on record my membership with the church? That's what religious people think about when they're approaching death or when they're wanting to feel good about themselves and they're standing with God. They're thinking about what other people think of me. But that is not what God desires. God doesn't desire what other people think of you. It's about what He thinks of you. And the motivation of those who are truly of the Lord are motivated by a real relationship with God. Who cares what other people think? Is it real between you and God? And Paul concludes, and he just says, look, I see you, I see you Jewish people, I see you religious people, you are priding yourself on your heritage and on your knowledge and on your ceremonies. But I gotta tell you something, at the end of the day, none of that is gonna protect you from the righteous judgment of God on your heart. And I need you to know that if you feel, like, a little quiet, (laughs) it's probably a good thing because the point of this is so that your mouths may be stopped. We'll look at more of this next week as we get into Romans 3 but your mouth may be stopped in terms of defending yourself or excusing yourself. Well, no, you know, I'm good. No, 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 you're not good because God's judgment is a judgment of the heart. And at the end of the day, the question for you is where is your reliance? Where is your reliance? Is your reliance On yourself and on your religion, on your goodness, so-called goodness, on your morality or your ethics or your knowledge or your heritage or your ceremonies, your baptism? Is that where your reliance is? We've been talking again and again. That's a problem. Religion, relying on religion is a problem, but there's a better solution. And I close with this. It's not just about the problem of Jesus, yeah, you got to see, I mean, the, the problem of religion, yeah, you got to see the problem of religious reliance, but the whole point of this is Paul's wanting to capture your attention to the beauty of Jesus. He's wanting you to, to realize, I have major problems. Every one of us has major problems of the heart. Every, all of these things that we've talked about today are true of me in some ways, are true of you in some ways. We have problems, but Jesus is beautiful. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12 says this, in him, namely Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, he's wanting you to see the beauty of Jesus. Jesus can do what your religion can never do. Jesus can make you new. And he can bring life from the inside. You who were dead in your trespasses, including religious works, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God can make a life together with him, having forgiven you of trespasses. He can forgive all of the stuff that has gone wrong within us and he can cancel the record of debt that stands against us with his legal demands. He has done this as he gave his life for you by nailing it on the cross. Jesus Christ loves you, friends. You religious folks who tend to rely on yourself more than God, your own religious works and your knowledge and your heritage and your ceremonies more than God, Jesus loves you and he came for you so that you could turn from your religion and turn toward him. That you could be forgiven of all of your sins see he lived for your righteousness true righteousness which you don't have but desperately need and he died for your forgiveness which by your unrighteousness you desperately need and he was buried but friends after three days he was raised again and he lives today and he has all power and his power is directed to make you new so won't you see the beauty of jesus He can change you from within by the work of his power. He can give you a real relationship with God and he can allow you to live a life motivated by love. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. This good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, to the religious (laughs) and also to the Greek, to the non-religious. I ask you today, where is your reliance? Our main point, the pride points of religious people cannot protect them from God's righteous judgment of their hearts. As we close this morning and our band comes to lead us in response, I just wanna encourage you to get in a posture where you can just spend some time and just cast all of your reliance on Jesus. I believe this morning that there are many, many of us this morning that need to go to God in repentance. We need to go to God and admit, oh God, I have relied more on my heritage, my title. I've relied more on my knowledge. I've relied more on ceremonies or outward workings than I have relied upon you. And just go to God and ask his forgiveness and seek his grace. And admit that you see the problem of religion for what it is, and just say, oh, God, whether it's for the first time this morning, salvation can come to you this morning. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, today can be a day of salvation, whether for the first time or for the 5,000th time, you can go and say, oh, Jesus, I find you beautiful. I believe that you can do what I could never do, what I desperately need done. I believe that you can do what no religious work will ever do. Oh, Jesus, I need you to come to cleanse me from within, to make me new. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. Thank you for your death, for for my forgiveness. Thank you for your resurrection to make me new. Oh, I put all of my hope and reliance on you.
0: Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at ICCMemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.